This is Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. How's it going, party people? Hope all things are well. Another edition of Stark Reality. Small change here. This time interviewing my friend from across the pond, Lee Butler. Definitely good peoples. Met him uh, some years back at the Movement Festival in Detroit. Through some mutual friends. Hi, Vince and Sabine, etc. And he's an old school techno head. Music head, really. He's been clubbing for many years. UK... Germany, Detroit, Chicago, New York, etc., etc. He occasionally uh, spins mostly Wheels and Deals records, has been doing that for a while, has a very deep knowledge of dance music. We talk about Detroit, DJs like Gary Chandler and Al Astor, Todd Edwards playing in uh, a club in the neighborhood that he grew up in back in the day, and uh, hanging out at the old Trezor in Berlin, and... Uh, then I caught up with Lee sort of a month after we initially talked to uh, get him to sort of give me a review of a recent car boot sale, since he is always hitting them in his area in uh, East London, Essex, etc. I know, breaking news. Anyways, enjoy. He's a great guy, and uh, this was recorded June 2nd, and then the follow-up was recorded July 6, 2021. Heated up last night, some McDonald's and the George Foreman. We can edit that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the rest is history. There it is. Lee Butler. Uh, talk to me, man. Uh, how's life for you these days? Life generally? Yeah, life generally. What, what's going on with you? I guess... We're still under some sort of semi-lockdown things, um, but generally, uh, for me, it's not too bad. The car boot sales are open, so they're like three times a week, and the equivalent of your thrift shops are now open. Um, yeah, the well, weather's I'd see, I'd see more, more like a flea market, the boot sales. Or you're saying just the equivalent of... Uh other charity shops or whatever basically everything that i go to to find music is open um 
so i'm i'm pretty busy doing my normal stuff uh yeah how, how long how long how, how many years have you been hitting these car boot sales this is so, all on like the not, uh the east side of london generally right well it's there's lots in my particular area but um yeah, Essex, as in our county, is super famous from. But they're all throughout the UK. Anywhere generally there's a, an empty field, or I mean, I went to one in central London on a Saturday that was in the grounds of a chill, uh, of a school. So it's on concrete, and yeah, that's more like the flea markets I've been to you with in maybe Brooklyn when you was looking at some fancy t-shirts. I think there's a greater Iraq Saddam Hussein one from memory. <laughs> that, that was similar to the thing that I went to on Saturday. It's a bit more fancy stuff. People knew that they had good vintage clothes. Where cartel is a bit more rough and ready. People just selling all sorts of rubbish generally. And then uh, the best thing though is the people that turn up that have maybe cleared out a house like all of its contents they will turn up in their big lorries not so much the furniture but all the you know the little bits you find inside a house including like books records cds and these people just want to get rid of it as you know as much as they can so everything's like a dollar pound right it's usually just like a set price i i've definitely caught uh some things. I, mean, like, I remember uh, digging in the 26th Street flea market, which was in a parking lot, and before they had built a building there. But uh, it was a good flea market right. for many, many years in New York. And you know, you'd get there mm. before the sun was up. I mean, I remember being in there, and it was, I think it was on the way to winter, or maybe the beginning of winter. It was like five in the morning, or you know, there was no. It was dark, and uh, this guy had an entire collection in garbage bags that he probably salvaged from a house or some site. And uh, it was like manic dealers ripping open garbage bags, and it was cold and dark and flashlights and, you know, just ridiculous. Like, what am I doing here? But then, you know, I found an original meters record for three bucks, so, you know, it all kind of works out. (laughs) It's like, oh, that's why. (laughs) But initially, oh, you're just like, "Am I crazy? What am I doing?" <laughs> well, you look. People in a few, well, maybe a few more years, and I hope to think uh, we'll look back and those sort of things won't really go on. You know, when people can just sell stuff openly in public and the government don't get a slice. So one day, I think these sort of places will be more regulated. Like sellers might have to, you don't know. You know, they just can't turn up, you know, and like basically because there's so much stuff that turns up at boot sales, like power tools. No questions are asked with power tools. I guess a quarter of the stuff at car boot sales are stuff that's probably come from a building site the night before. Yeah, <laughs> ah, that's twisted. Yeah, people do. Actually, that's a crazy thing that I learned, uh, you know, definitely you know did not know this for many years until like you know talking to people that had stuff that you know like their their business was being renovated or something and yeah like like construction sites are like a big people try to 
rip shit off oh. construction sites all the time. It's kind of crazy. I mean, my friend, my friend had a video editing <clears throat> suite in Soho, and he was just moving in to the offices. And I don't even think he was on the first floor. He was on like the fifth or sixth floor. But I guess people got wind that they were putting it in, and they stole his phone networking system. <laughs> but it was worth several thousand dollars. Like it's kind of crazy, and you know, the video of a guy with a hoodie with his whole phone system walking out the door at like, you know, one in the morning or something. So yeah, that, that I wouldn't even think though. Yeah. I guess they would just go to a boot sale cause there's no r real regulation. And so, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's also kind of nice that people can just show up and sell what they want to sell too. It doesn't have to be like all a den of thieves or whatever. Oh, it's, I love it. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure one day in the future, you know, it, won't always be there. So, yeah, it's good to get these moments in if you can be somewhere at five in the morning and watch a load of middle-aged men rip open garbage bags for records. <laughs> Those sort of things. I know, you know it's very, nice. very exciting moments in your life. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of digging, everyone's got their story where they've seen something like where you're like, wow, savages. But, yeah, um, the I call it the piranha tank basically people just uh going crazy usually record fairs uh you know around certain tables the piranha mm, but i mean i've uh met so many nice people especially uh at the thing uh in manhattan i mean well yeah i've uh, been there. brooklyn brooklyn but yeah the thing that's right you you've been digging there for uh, a few years that's right really nice people like all, all from around the world and around america and yeah, that's like a more pleasant side of record for sure. Nah. No one really knows, so you can't really knock anyone out the way because anything can be anywhere, and that is the perfect scenario, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you're, you're just in like a huge basement of records, so no one's like trying to step over each other to get to that one magic box. There's just so much to look look through in the first place that. There's, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice when there's not like a stress level there, where you're just can you're able to just dig at your own pace, and you're not you're not feeling like someone's breathing behind your back, you know, which happens at record fairs for sure. Do you know if that if that's still going that shop? Or the thing, I believe so. I haven't been but through there in a minute. Um, so not heard anything. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, COVID has had its toll on uh, small businesses. Uh, I think wow. record shops are just starting to kind of reopen well, or be open on the weekends, et cetera. But, uh, you know, people are trying to be careful. What were you going to say? Sorry. I was just saying a lot of them are probably lucky enough they can just sell their stock online and as soon as they had to close their doors. Not everyone was probably could do that but the record shops could you know they have the option i guess so yeah maybe they won't have as much stuff when they reopen but, but uh yeah hopefully they've kept going that way yeah you've been you've been selling for quite some time how many years have you been wheeling and dealing records probably about 15 now i was thinking about it the other day yeah about the first two or three years were not well maybe the first two years were not as serious as the last 13 i was doing it part-time while i still had a full-time job and then uh the universe smiled on me and uh i managed to 
do it full-time, although, yeah, it's not really the same as full-time paid job. But, yeah, I'm quite lucky in that respect. I can I can just focus on that now. So, But it yeah, is I've, work. I've like I said, you have to keep uh, bringing stuff oh, yeah. in, essentially. Oh, lots of hours walking around fields, cycling on buses. So, yeah, you might see me at the end of the day post this nice record up. I've gone. I've literally got probably bruises and sweat and tears <laughs> to get it. Maybe <laughs> but, uh, oh, I've carried it, it halfway around the world. It's work. It's work. It is work. Oh, yeah. If I counted out the hours where it's unpaid until you finally find something that's then paid work, it can be a lot of unpaid work some days. And yeah, that's you know you just have to take that on the chin if that. If you can't, then you're probably in the wrong game. It's not, you know, every time you go out, you can't expect to find everything. Right. You can't so, You but... can't expect to, expect to find some grail piece every time you're going out digging. I mean, it's obviously just oh, common but... sense, but at the same time, yeah, you know, it's, it's something to be, I guess, doing it as often as you're doing. And then, uh, you know, yes, it's, then it, it probably dawns on you more that you've, because you've gone out so many days digging that you're not always going to get what you want, you know? Oh, yeah, and even occasionally I'll go to Boots and I literally bought nothing. And I've spent, like, from when I've got up to when I get back in, could be six hours, you know, and that's six hours of, like, physically moving, like, no sitting and no money. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> I, 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 I posted that on Facebook, it'd be quite a sad life. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that is a reality some days. But, you know, that is life. Yeah, That's no the game doubt. we're in. And you also, you come out to uh, Chicago and Detroit, well, most years when there's not some uh, century, once in a century pandemic. But, uh, so I know yeah. you, do, you do some digging out there too. You kind of hit Chicago, Detroit, and New York essentially, right? Yeah, not so much Chicago in the last maybe five years, but definitely always love coming to New York first and last, and then in between uh, Detroit. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, I find so much stuff that we love in UK that you just have knocking around everywhere to make every single trip, uh, every time I go in a shop, a success, basically. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's awesome really. And then obviously learning more about, uh, funk and soul seven inches, uh, 45s when I'm in Detroit, especially. Yeah. Cause yeah, you can I just mean, come up on some really good 45s just by being out there in a sense. Sure. And then, I mean, you've, uh, you talk me through like some of the ones that I find and give me some of the history and that, and it all, you know, it all helps. I start remembering a few labels and people's names and that. So you've played your part. Oh, well, whatever, whatever. What, what are some of, in terms of like uh, dance music labels, what are, what are some of the things that you're always looking for or artists that you know are kind of popular in England or Europe? Oh, what, stuff that I bring to America or stuff that I... You buy I from buy. America. Like, what do you find that's, like, reasonable here that is, is sought after out there? Right, so there's lots of things 
on that is it tk disco the yellow yeah yeah tk disco miami disco label i believe yeah so there's quite a few of those that didn't seem to get a proper issue in england that i guess i see quite a lot and even things on like sugar hill is it positive force or yeah something yeah like that? yeah exactly. just one that, you know everyone's seen all day long especially in uh New York, where they were kind of club know, classics, basically. So yeah, you still kind of see those records, you know. And uh, so I was trying to think of the ones I bring back from America now. So, uh, uh Lynn Collins. Um, oh, I'm rubbish with the names sometimes. Think about it. So, I think that's on People's Records. Yeah, that's James and, Brown. James Brown's label. Right, so I mean, even half decent condition in England, it's like at least twenty five bucks. That's crazy. See, that's where sometimes I feel, I kind of feel like I'm in this weird record pricing no, sure. head of like the nineties uh, into the two thousands, and and the prices keep changing randomly. It's kind of crazy. So hard. I mean, as soon as any for sale, that's like in a like a very good or even occasionally you don't even get them better than that and they just fly out the door in england um yeah but i mean there's a list i i haven't got it to hand but no 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 we won't bore people with that that's fine (laughs) i was just curious and i mean do when you kind of come out here you bring some stuff because i know i'm kind of always looking for like uk dance music that in the same vein that you're talking about those disco labels Hmm like the grime and sort of like early jungle records that obviously didn't really get the distribution here, you know, though. I mean, I guess, do you, do you find that stuff used still? Like, like, do you find DJs selling collections at these like car boot sales and stuff? This is the thing. I very find any sort of electronic music you really ever find, you know, in mass that car boot sales, luckily enough, because of the area that I'm in, uh, it's only five miles from where it was all pressed in uh, Hackney. Right, so, right. So um, I find loads of UK garage, um, some grime, and if you're really lucky, then like the jungle and hardcore. But yeah, nearly no techno or anything other than that. But, you know, those genres, luckily, are so popular still, the garage and jungle and stuff. So... Yeah, occasionally you hit gold and it's someone will have literally their whole collection line on the grass for 50p each. And uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm picking up lots of like nice and ripe labels. I see quite a lot which have a really good garage on it. And yeah, look, I can usually tell from the white labels from the catalogue numbers if it's going to be grime. Usually they have so many shouts, shout outs or stuff. That, um, yeah, usually if you find one grime, there's going to be a few. And yeah, because a, a, sold... a lot of that grime stuff was just white labels with just a marker, you know. It was kind of like very gener- generic-looking 12s, essentially, right? Apart from maybe Johnny Cash ones, nearly all the other good grime I've got are just white labels, for sure. Um, so, yeah, luckily in Essex, it was like, because of the age group of people you move on you start off on jungle if you're born in yeah if you're born in like 
don't know, late 70s, by the time you get to Jungle, you're into that, and then you move on to Garage, and then you inevitably move on to Grime. So You're kind of follow, you're start- following the sort of tide of the UK bass scene, basically. So, yeah, if you're really lucky, someone brings their whole collection down, and it's usually it's in that whole, order. It's a whole arc of stuff. Yeah, no, I actually bought some records from a dude when I went to um, Utrecht, you know, the the big record fair in Europe. And there was a guy selling his collection who was, uh, you know, I forget if he lived in Amsterdam or something, but he lived in the UK in the 90s going to school or something and was a DJ. So his whole collection was like early good looking and like 94 Jungle through Speed Garage basically so kind of part of that arc so it is kind of cool if you can kind of catch that you know because you can get a lot of interesting records i'm sure very popular yeah genres to follow one after the other i don't know too many people that didn't follow that it was almost you had to (laughs) so um yeah i never i I think like two-step garage broken beat i don't think that ever really like pushed through in the states on a on a major level you know, and grime is still is also kind of underground, though I know people kind of into it. But uh, I just I think just in terms of like how big it was in the UK, like it was kind of the sound in the UK, but I don't think it really pushed through in sure. in the states in the same way. Yeah, quite a niche scene in America, but um, there's this amazing clip, right? So I come from a place called Romford in Essex, which. There's loads of jokes about Romford in Essex that people in the UK will say. I guess every there'd be parts of America that have jokes made about them for various reasons. Our ones are due to like the blokes are a little bit stupid, wear track suits, the girls always have blonde hair and a funny laugh. You're almost like but, you guys are like the Jersey of London, maybe. I kid, I kid. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, Romford was also the epicenter of Garage, right? And there's an amazing clip on YouTube. If you just type in Todd Edwards and Romford, um, I think it's his first gig maybe in the UK. So, I mean, he knew obviously about UK Garage, but like um, when he plays at what is usually a really cheesy nightclub, I mean, I've only been there once in my life. But inside, it looks amazing, but you'd never go there if you like, you know, good music. Right, right. He was booked there, and it's like a seven-minute video, and it's it almost brings a lump to me throat. <laughs> I wasn't even there, but the reaction that he gets when he's announced and he comes on, uh, he looks like he's about to cry. It's just the best, one of the best things I've seen. So, What did they I call him? Know. Todd the God, right? Oh yeah, that was his nickname. But he and speaking of Jersey, I think he is actually from New Jersey, and he—I guess he was. I mean, he was basically known as a house producer, though. I guess some of his records were sort of a big, were sort of an influence, or he was kind of making stuff sort of in that vein. Uh, you know, his house records kind of had that sort of two-step feel to it. Definitely tell when it's a Todd Edwards sort of garage house track, like. You know, there's so many that I hear in, you know, UK garage sets. Um, I mean, but yeah, it's just the best reaction. He he finally knew what it was like, a UK garage scene at that point, put it that way. 
<laughs> so um yeah, yeah he must not... have known his records were getting played and then and then came out there yeah i met i met but... him years ago i think some sort of random like small like red bull sponsored thing he was a super nice guy though very chill yeah, I didn't know what he's like as a person, but that's good to hear. I mean, he looks—he comes across as that on uh, this clip, even though you know it's just him DJing. But you get a, a feel that he's pretty humble. So, oh, and that's good to hear. Word, man. And you've been going out to uh, the what is it? I guess what do you call it? Movement, or I know it's been through a few different names. The Detroit uh, Electric Demp. They know. just finished. A really little mini one, which I'm really happy for him to have it. Um, but yeah, just totally gutted that I wasn't there. Yeah, There's it was supposed so... to be. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was this past weekend. That's right. Micro movement, and they just done it not at the main uh, Hart Plaza, but they just did it at basically like a huge block party uh, uh, on a different block. I think every day. Um, one day was definitely all hip hop. I think that was the last day, but the day before was booty tech and ghetto tech all day. <laughs> and I've, uh, yeah, I've had some really good reports on that. And, um, also Orcs 88 was playing outside live with like a, a, a band, you know, saxophone and then one, one Atkins done a set afterwards, you know, all for free put on by, I guess probably the rich DJ is uh, still in Detroit at the moment. I'm thinking, but yeah, I'm really glad that something happened. You know, it's only a few hundred people it looked like, but yeah, still, I mean, you uh, know, it's a tricky vibe. You don't want to like throw events that are going to be technically unsafe, but uh, you know, oh, it, is, it is nice uh, to still you know see people kind of doing it, whatever whatever way they can do it, you know. So much room there; it was fully distance. Put it that way, you know. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. Was... I'm not stressing on that. I'm just saying, like in general, like you know, it makes it tougher to throw some big festival because you don't want thousands of people. All like, I mean, ideally, what you would want normally, you know, it's sort of the opposite. But we'll see. We'll see how things like roll out in the next few months and see what happens for festivals. I guess next year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as it stands, they're still planning to do one in October in uh, Detroit called Dally in the Alley, which is an outdoor one that goes up and down alleyways, basically. It's, uh, you came, you came out before. for that, right? Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, and they, you know, Dad, you are playing outside for free. <laughs> I mean, that's quite impressive. Nice, so, nice. Yeah. Under underground resistance. Oh. I remember. I think we went to uh, their record store, and they have kind of like a mini museum, right? Yes. Yeah. So that is opposite Moody Man's house. Um, who is meant to be playing in England in September in a, a park in South London, which is quite funny because it's usually <laughs> it's not like I don't know the world's best park, and they've got Jeff Mills and Moody Man booked in September apparently so I'd, I'd like to think I'm, I'll be in America by then fingers crossed and everything crossed right you're trying to uh, mo you're trying to mosey on over here now at least for the six months at a time that my Esca, Esca, uh, Esther visa will give me 
But um, I'm hopefully now in more of a position to look at other avenues beyond Esther. <laughs> beyond <Word>. the Esther. <laughs> Word, man. Yeah, doing a, a very simple three-year course in Detroit or somewhere to get a student visa, maybe. You never know. That could be as simple as that, potentially. Well, you know, you're never too old to learn something new. You know? Yeah, the world's longest, <laughs> cheapest. If anyone can recommend the world's longest, cheapest course, I'm, I'm really keen. <laughs> exactly. Raver burnout, Hello. studying ar- ar- architecture, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I mean, but you, you like, uh, when you started going to Detroit, I think, what was it? The first year it happened, right? Uh, well, maybe like the third year. Third year, right. First, they charged money. Um, it was still, you know, really cheap. But I think the year before, they were, they basically would just go around asking for donations at the end of it. Yeah, it was like, best. it was, it was free. It was like totally free in the beginning, which I can I mean, it's kind of nice in terms of a community that, especially in that area, maybe doesn't have tons of money and then can go and see a lot of not only, you know, touring people, but a lot of just straight up Detroit legends. I mean, that's one of the things I always liked about going out to Detroit is just seeing, you know, people Mm. like who is it like Al Esther or some of those people that you don't really see in New York that often, but they're like real kind of classic Detroit DJs. My favorite part, watching people that, you know, they probably won't uh, play outside of Michigan too often. And uh, sometimes they don't even play outside of Detroit. So, oh, that's even more special if I see these people play. Um, Yeah, some of them are equally as good as anyone who's earning money doing it around the world as a living. It's just the fact that they, for various maybe reasons, are just not, but their skills are equally as good. Yeah, there's so, sort of uh, like DJing, but maybe don't have the recognition of, say, productions or whatever reason, not having the, the right touring manager or something, but they're still doing it, grinding it, still working it, you know? So oh, yeah. they obviously it's are pretty- not, they haven't stopped and are not going to stop, and that's why it's kind of nice to catch those DJs when you can, since they're not always the ones that are touring. Oh, yes, for sure. The uh, the Sherry Vary Festival, the free festival that is usually in August, um, that is just perfect for that. Only local DJs. Um, yeah, bloke called Gary Chandler. Oh, yeah, I was just, just going to say Gary Chandler. That guy is ridiculous, uh, really ridiculous. Uh, I mean, he's got skills for days. And yeah, he knows how to work the crowd per you know, perfectly. It's just yeah, I don't really see that in London too often. That sort of someone who's just so confident and they're just gonna do their thing knowing that everyone will love it. Yeah, I think people overthink it in London when they play too much and it's all a bit too perfect. <laughs> it's all so, a bit too perfect. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah well I think like Gary Chandler, I mean, he's even done like just straight up, you know just commercial hip-hop you know radio Mm. mix shows but then you know he'll play say you know movement and be like cutting up ghetto tech and just random records so he's obviously he's got like you know a range but then still has that kind of like turntablism skill and and even an understanding of like 
just rocking crowds and rocking parties. So it's kind of like a nice balance of all that stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. I've heard um, when he plays in the hood parties, it's off the hook. And he did actually promise that I'm allowed to go to one. So one day in the future, I'm going to make that happen. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, you're rolling with him. <laughs> I've just got to let the rest of the party in the crowd know that I know him. And then, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Strange British bloke just turns yeah, yeah. up. It's like, <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> I like to just I'll be, be in, in the, the corner big... here rolling spliffs. Oh. Don't mind me. <laughs> west side's a west side for a reason, so I've got to respect the game, you know. Hilarious. Hilarious. As much it'd be a great and you, I'll be I, there to tell. I remember talking to you and you went to like a bunch of festivals, like I guess I didn't you see sometimes it's kind of funny to think about the proximity of Europe and Easy Jet, but you you were saying that you were even just flying to festivals in Europe just for like a weekend back in the day, right? Just to see DJs or whatever. I mean, at the old Trezor Club, before they knocked it down in early 2000s, we'd fly from the airport to the club, club to airport to home. <laughs> uh, maybe every six weeks to see like Mills or someone. I mean, it was the last, uh, so we'd finished work. Uh, the Thursday night was the main techno night at Trezor. Uh, we'd finished work about five. There'd be a flight around eight or 9 PM. It'd be like four pound 99 or something. Really? No one. Re- That's yeah, not insane. on a Thursday night. Like people that go on holiday for a week usually go on a Monday. So you literally could fly to Berlin for five quid basically they were back and then it was maybe 10 deutsch marks or euros in a taxi for three or four of us to the club and the same back to the airport and it was the equivalent of maybe four bucks to get into trezor on the thursday night and it would uh go on to a certain time in the morning uh and we would get the first flight back or the second flight that was still about four or five pound. Uh, no, no, I'm done. That's wild. That's uh, wild. And so you went to you basically went to Treasure a lot, basically to see various techno people. Then, even if they weren't coming to England, you could catch them in Berlin. Basically, it was so incredible at the old Trezor Club that it didn't matter if we was going to see that DJ the weekend. Um, it was so good. It was, I guess, the equivalent of what I have read about the limelight when they had techno parties. Like, it was just so good, basically. Um, it Like, the venue was so perfect. Like, and no security. Just, it was a real free-for-all. But it was still really early in terms of, like, techno-ish, really, in Europe, in a way those sort of parties. So it was, yeah, you just felt like you was at the beginning, not right at the beginning of something amazing, but still you knew this club because it is right in the heart of the financial district. There's nothing else around apart from really posh, like uh, German banks. And you knew it was only a question of time before this club, which was all underground. The entrance was at the street level 
and the main trezor was the bunker that was underground. That's the only reason they could get away with it because you couldn't hear the music. Even if there's 3,000 people literally under the ground, the German businessmen are walking above us to go to work at like 8 or 9 in the morning. And then the, it would finish at, say, 10 a.m. on a Friday morning. The door would open. You know, it'd be like the equivalent of being on Wall Street. And you can imagine 2,000 people <laughs> there. I mean... You do the real, real uh, meeting of the minds. The Wall Street people I, meeting I, the cracked out ravers that have been dancing till nine or ten in the morning. That's perfect. For at least ten years, maybe that the original Trezor Club. Uh, how on earth it lasted that long? It was. I mean, the looks on. Uh, you know, all businessmen look generally serious, but German businessmen look super serious. And they, <laughs> it's like extra. It's like a little dash of extra. It's their German businessman. Fucking hilarious. And then, you know, it's just such a contrast. I mean, everyone was, you know, really well behaved looking back at it, but it was just a contrast of, I guess, good and evil. So um, when they moved that, it was, uh, it's in the perfect place now. They've got such a huge area that when you come out, it doesn't affect anyone. And uh, yeah. They found a really good venue, to be fair to them, and they moved the original vaults, the bank vaults that were at the old Trezor Club, uh, into the new Trezor Club, and the, the special Trezor cage, which the DJ plays in, that's all the same from the original club, so they've made a great effort, I have to say. Um, so I still very much like going to the new Trezor when I last went there, maybe two years ago now. And, and, um, and isn't there like, aren't they the people that are trying to partner with some random South American billionaire to basically open up a gigantic club in Detroit or what? What it, That's like some ongoing thing, because I remember actually going uh, with you to some uh, sort of like brochure type meeting where they were kind of like, this is what we're proposing. I guess they're trying to get the city of Detroit behind it and all that stuff. Right. Unfortunately, from what I've heard. Possibly, I guess, massively due to the uh, pandemic, that this isn't now happening um, at the moment. Uh, I can't say that's official, but probably as good as. Um, but hopefully, maybe in the future, someone else might, I guess, invest is the main thing that why it won't happen. But yeah, hopefully they they have like the space and sort of the plans, right? They're almost going to make it like a hostel club, like we're sort of like going to be like a mixed, like a whole thing. (laughs) Be like techno retiree home or something. I don't know. Yeah, just uh, there's a place in Berlin called The Generator, which is this huge hotel, which is loads of cheapish rooms. And it's all in one thing, but they haven't got a club and it would be like that but with a Trezor club at the bottom. And I think it was the Packard plant, maybe. Oh, yeah, the Packard the plant. Day. Exactly. Right. A part of it. I don't know. Maybe that's like the biggest unused plant in the world or something like that. Like, it goes on for miles and miles. I think it's something like that. It's the most, you know, the biggest unused industrial uh, site. So I think they just bought a little bit of it and was going to make that happen but as far as i know uh, the investor 
pulled out. So, yeah, that's a bit disappointing. I was hopefully going to get some sort of special visa because I know the uh, sound engineer at Trezor and he was going to work in the Detroit one, basically. I could have been his assistant. <laughs> oh, man, there's your gig. There's your dream gig right there. Fingers crossed. You never know. Things can start happening again, so I live in hope. What are what are some uh, other kind of classic clubs or places that you've uh, you've enjoyed? I mean, I assume you've been to you've been to Burgine and and etc. Yeah, maybe three times. But the only the only time I've ever got in there was when I'd been on the guest list and they literally couldn't not let me in. But the way I I don't know probably was dressed and looked. You know, yeah, not, they're kind of, I guess it's like a sort of thing that no matter what, you're going to get turned away at Burgine at some point. That's like the thing, right? Yeah, that I know uh, uh, they dress and look exactly how you're meant to, you know, occasionally have got turned away just randomly. So, but yeah, they generally don't want anyone that's going to be shocked at what they see or take a video or a photo. They are super, super hot on that. They've got people looking at cameras the whole time to make sure no one's taking films and videos because that doesn't look good. It's in, almost in, impossible to find footage of Bergheim on the internet. I never even thought can... of that, actually, though I do know that, yeah, I have heard that they, you know, which obviously it's it's a crazy club. So I actually respect that. Going. You know what I mean? Let people do their thing and put away the phone for yeah. half a second, you know. But uh, but yeah, I guess that's crazy. There probably isn't a lot of footage on YouTube. I never even thought of searching for it. Um, literally none. Maybe the beer garden, the odd photo, but that's outside and nothing too terrible happens there <laughs> it's an amazing sound system especially in the uh the panorama panorama bar, bar yeah yeah it is impressive and it does look amazing when the uh the sun comes up through the sort of broken windows and whatnot yeah i can see why it's pretty iconic but um yeah it's you're invested in it you don't just go there to pop in i mean i i'm not too hardcore i've been there two or three times the least amount of time i was in in, in there for was 16 hours um, <laughs> you, that's proper of, i mean it's so huge and there's so many corridors and dark darkness <laughs> and things which like you have to look at sometimes and watch just because it's bonkers um that yeah time flies and then if you lose a friend you can't like call them or look at your phone you know right. you'll go you're right you are on a mission to, <laughs> and that mission can take you around twists and turns i'm leaving it i'll just let it alleviate that basically but yeah they have great lineups and it goes on for like four days i think it starts friday finishes tuesday and then they have, they have a big week party but one of them is um yeah i think it's like a like a scat party uh but yeah i've seen a flyer to it it looks as what you could imagine <laughs> it's, it's just, 
I don't know how they clean I mean, it up you in know, time. Kids, you know, kids, kids, and they're fun. Uh, All different flavors. That's the way that is Berlin, really. It is there as, you know, a party town after the terrible things of the war is always going to be left as a completely different place to any other part of Germany. There's nothing else. Less. I mean, it's so different to every other part of Germany I've been to. It's un- untrue how Berlin... I mean, they could never think of that in a million years in any other part of Germany. It would never happen. But in Berlin, because, you know, the way it has always been since the war finished, it is literally, you can do what you want there. It's it's very strange because they're so strict, the police, especially in other parts I've been to. Um, you'd never think that would like be allowed, you know, to go on basically non-stop for most of the week for years. And that's not the only, you know, that's the one that gets the recognition, but the Kit Kat Club, there's at least five or six similar clubs that are not as famous, but yeah, I it's just the same vibe, put it that way, I've seen. Yep. Yeah. Like <laughs> they, they get some, you know, so loads of Detroit DJs I've seen yeah well what's funny it's not even like you're necessarily like going to look for that vibe you're actually there for the music which there is a fair amount of people i know who go there for that but that's sort of like the dress code and the vibe of the party they're like okay we get it you want to see moody man or somebody but are you really able to handle this club kind of thing it's it's crazy it's like a like a mad max of techno really but no violence but you know everything else there's lots of crazy tina turner moments <laughs> thunderdome it's a thunderdome it's very thunderdome <laughs> uh but yeah i mean it is always good fun and there's always stories that you and whoever you're with you can swap at the end of the night because you can't see everything all the time <laughs> and but, I- uh yeah but I know also, like, even in Detroit, you know, Hart Plaza where, and they have, like, I think, what, five or six stages where the stuff goes on. But then a lot of, uh, you know, some of the better parties are also just all the after parties. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many to choose from every year when I used to be there. It was insane. I mean, oh, so many of my heroes are playing at different parties on the same night. You have to start looking in like a list of maybe the top five to hit in case the first one doesn't happen for some reason or closes down early. And then maybe, you, you know, sometimes I've popped to two or three on the same night. You can work it out, you know, the location of them. You know, you'll know sometimes that the certain DJs would never be on the first certain time, really. So you can work out which ones might be on earlier or later to, you know, or if you've got a friend at one of them, they'll give you an update. You know, there's an hour left of this dude. You know, next should be the one you want to see. And they, they often let you back in and out of the parties, which oh, really? happen too often. Oh, okay. I didn't realize often. that. You nearly always get a stamp. Or if you've got, like, a strange accent, they generally remember you, it turns out. <laughs> so um, sometimes I'm coming up to the door and they don't even ask to see my stamp. They've just remembered my face and whatnot so oh yeah it's really handy like that so lots of people go out to the car park to maybe have a quick drink 
in between, you know, seeing the DJ. Uh, someone, I've seen people with, yeah, like optics in the back of their, you know, trunk. It's quite impressive. Uh, so, yeah, it's all... Yeah, very different in uh, Detroit to the after parties to London. You'd always just go to one. Uh, you know, you'd never think about going to another one in a million years. Well, I think, so, I think yeah. with a the festival, there's so many people in town. I mean, uh, you know, besides even, again, all the great local DJs or whatever. But uh, so you're kind of almost, it's kind of like being down in Miami for a winter music conference or something back in the day. It's just there's just too many people playing, you know, whereas if you're just in your city, it's just whoever is uh, kind of passing through at the time. True. True. It's just, uh, I guess it's just so many, yeah, so many things happening and yeah, you'd never be able to sleep too early in any, unless you've got your own place, just because most people be coming back at whatever time, four or five. So you might as well pop out somewhere because you're just going to get kept up by, you know, people playing music in their rooms and that <laughs> so oh it's, it's just really nice to wander around the city at night time you know especially in detroit it's just yeah there's not often that many people around so for that three or four days it's it's in it's crazy really the the, the difference in the amount of people Though you know, I guess in, the, in like the ten or twelve years, I mean, you've you've obviously seen Detroit probably change a bit, you know, since it seems to be slowly, you know, kind of uh, coming back. Though the people that were yeah. obviously always there will always be there, so it's not even like necessarily a trend to them per se. But oh, it's definitely from the, uh, the downtown area outwards, well, away from the uh, the river. Um, you, every every year that I went there, I'd notice the difference. It is slowly spreading out. It will take a long time to like fully spread out, and maybe at certain points they stop. But it does, you know, it seems a lot safer and nicer, and it looks cleaner. They've still got all the impressive buildings down there, so it's not, you know, totally different. But yeah, you you definitely can see it. And lately, they've been selling off lots of abandoned lots and lots of like empty houses uh to encourage people to buy them cheap and move in basically um so i've actually got my name on the deeds of a house in detroit not that i can really go i can go there but yeah my friend bought it he just put my name on there which is allowed so yeah, in Detroit City Hall, it will officially say that I'm a homeowner, but I didn't give any money to my friend. <laughs> but um, it, it could help in the future. But I'm, I don't, yeah, I'd like to potentially do that. I mean, it'd be good to do it soon while they've got almost like a sale on. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember seeing like uh, multiple Facebook posts where you were like, I'm ready to move to the States and your English friends almost like, we'll move already. <laughs> you know? But uh, I know it's something yeah. you've been wanting for a while. Well, what, is, is, is it kind of partially through just the love of techno and music that you, you've wanted to come out to oh, the States and specifically Detroit? or? I mean, I, I spent uh, until... So between, I don't know, the age of 20, when I first went to Detroit, maybe about 31 or 32 years old, 
I used to go on holiday a lot, basically. That was all, all I would really spend my money on for 11 or 12 years. I'd work up London, nine to five job. And yeah, not married or anything. So I just literally went around the world and stayed at my friends' places in so many different countries. Uh, and I'd only ever been to America, really, for New York and Florida. And I thought I'd give. Uh, I always wanted to go to Detroit, but I didn't know any. Like, I didn't know anyone who'd been before. So it was all a bit like just looking into things. Like, well, I survived basically. And um, once after the first year of going there, because I was there maybe for a week before the festival, and it's so different. Like, it's so empty, and you get to talk to people a lot more, like local people. And I just knew from that day onward, really. That it's my favourite place in the world that I've been to. That I know there's places that look nicer, and there's all different factors you could factor in. But overall, all the things are important to me. Maybe apart from the weather in the winter, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, a little but, ruthless, but you know it is what it is. Um, and I'm, I mean, actually the winter just gone, I was monitoring it most days on my app and I could have survived it. I could have survived it. The winter before would have been tough, but the one just gone, I could have done it on temperature wise anyway. And, uh, so that gives me hope, but, um, yeah, I've just been lucky enough to come back every year since then. And the last two or three years before the pandemic, I'd been twice a year. So I was building up to maybe five or six months a year in America, not England. So I'd like to try and increase that. Uh, I'd still have to come back at least once a year, maybe twice. But yeah, there's so many places I want to see and yeah, types of people I want to meet. I've never been to the South. Um, yeah, I'd love to drive around. I need to learn how to drive. <laughs> So I've never learned. So if I'm going to learn... Oh, so I'm you're a true city kid. You never learned how to drive. That's hilarious. Yeah, man, I can show you how to drive. It's not that complicated. So I'm thinking if I've never learned before, I might as well learn on the left, like your side of the road. Even though I'm used to being a, in a passenger on the other side, I've been in a car quite a lot in America, or a bus at least, to get used to being on the other side. So, yeah, I mean... I'll take you up on that offer. Fair play to you. <laughs> For half an hour, isn't it? And then you can pull out. You can have an option to pull out. <laughs> yeah, we got to get one but of that... those cars with the two steering wheels. And I'm like, watch out! No, whatever. The clown cars. Yeah, the, web... cars. The, 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 the driving school cars. So that is the plan. Uh, I'd love to do a, a drive round in a Winnebago from one side of America to the other, uh, that's got to happen. Uh, yeah, so all these things, hopefully, are things I can look forward to. Um, yeah, lots of iconic places I'd love to see. Really, I'm a big fan of like alien things, so I'd love to go and uh, post a letter at the letterbox in uh, Roswell. Oh no. <laughs> And now they're talking about all this alien stuff now lately. So I, I feel like it's some sort of op for uh, funding the, what is it, the Star Star Wars, whatever the hell, Space Force. 
we need more missiles in space because of hostile aliens, and now we have proof. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever, whatever they can, you know, use to feed the military budget. Now all of a sudden, they're all about it, right? Like alien, alien people are crackpots, and then now the government's like, actually, we have this Navy fighter here, and he said he saw an alien. So we need another billion or two. <laughs> we need to increase our technology. I just want to see something floating, like something massive, like 10 miles wide. And then it can just like nip off. It doesn't have to do anything. And that can be it. Just leaving us wonder. That would be that would be it for me. That's enough. I don't need to see him get out or do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to... Uh, Shut some people up, and yeah, then you know, play the keyboard, play. Close Encounters, you know, play a little song. That'd be a bonus. That'd be a bonus. <laughs> play some Tomita or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So after about a month, we finally did record another segment with Lee reviewing a uh, recent car boot sale that he attended. Some finds. Anyways, enjoy. My name is Lee Butler. I've cut up a lot of cardboard this morning. Yes, talk talk to us about, uh, so, you know, whenever we did that interview, when did we record that? Was that like a month ago? I had to hazard a guess, maybe three weeks, potentially, give or take. Yes, and we 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 had been probably rambling for a bit at this point, but I actually wanted to have an ad- addendum or whatever you want to call it, uh, because I know you go to car boot sales, and so uh, we were going to have a little car boot sale review. <laughs> boot sale of the week. You know, very important news here at uh, Stark Not Reality boot. Incorporated. But uh, yeah, tell tell us about uh, what was your recap of this. Uh, this last car boot sale. It was a joyous event turning up at um, 7 a.m. on, uh, to be fair, summer's sort of stopped in the UK at the moment, so it's mostly cold and then sometimes raining hard. So, uh, yeah, not as nice as walking around with your T-shirt and shorts on. But, yeah, turned up around 7 a.m. And then... Uh, Generally, me and my friend head to the, uh, so for you that don't know, I guess it's the same as a flea market. But it is, it's yeah, a flea market, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's always on in a field pretty much, so uh, there's a few elements around the feet area sometimes you have to deal with. Uh, and then there's just rows, maybe 20 cars in each row, and there could be up to 20 rows people just like yeah selling anything from their house that they can be bothered to fit in their car or van and then either display semi-nicely on a table or just simply just chuck it all on the floor and it's a bit of a free-for-all but uh yeah it's very similar to what you see i guess in other places but they're, they're quite well known for the uh the county i live in in essex we're sort of not champions of the car boot sale but we've got to be up there as in there's lots of them and they're pretty much every day of the week from as soon as the weather turns okay maybe in april 
and they go up to December time. I mean, it's only the I would imagine it's pretty brick, as in cold at that time too, right? As long as it doesn't rain, people will be out and is as as cold as it can get. Basically, they don't mind the boot sales, so it can get pretty gnarly in the winter time. But most of them stop in about September. But you get some hardcore ones that carry on maybe to December if you're lucky. And uh, not as much fun walking around at like almost negative temperatures. But, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> and they usually, like, and they, most things are generally a pound that I buy. So uh, literally in, in for a pound. It's pretty much a standardized price of a record unless uh the person involved uh knows you know something about it but right. generally i'd like to say 90 percent of the time your pound is your standardized <laughs> currency for yeah, well a it's funny because um records of in thrift stores and stuff have started to get a little more expensive they're like you know sometimes two three dollars you know which I guess right, is sort right. of, they've kind of like slowly gone up, which is again three dollars for the Sound of Music soundtrack or whatever. It's definitely two dollars and ninety nine cents too much for that record. But um, yeah, yeah. After that, I can get you like multiple copies every single week for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was I a hit. It, you're... <laughs> it was. I mean, it's very popular. So what can you say? They made a lot of them to please. Everyone, it turns out, in the world. <laughs> so, how much? Um, what do you think is the percentage of people who are selling records, as opposed? And there's and there's people just selling like kind of almost like newer stuff too, right? Like almost like the kind of cheap flea market stuff. Oh well, I mean, okay. So on a on a reasonable average day, say if there's, uh, all right, it doesn't matter how many stores. Say an average boot sale that I might go to, I might stop between five to eight times you know to look at records and maybe a third of that will be people that just have nothing but records at their store and sometimes it works out that they just have come into loads of records and sometimes you know they mention the the dreaded d word near the beginning of it but I'll still flick through because not you know people some make some mistakes and sometimes what is they the do dreaded hold on stop stop what is the dreaded d word discogs oh it's discogs like, it's, <laughs> the dreaded d word dreaded, well let me check discogs think, on this well that's uh. the thing you think you just found a man that's got like a thousand records in front of you like random ones and some of them must be amazing but as soon as he is like yeah i used to sell on discogs you know that you probably won't find a thousand dollar record there but i have found a 300 pound record in someone that uh, says they were selling on discogs and sort of don't know laughed at his mate made a little joke about how he just sells all the rubbish at the store at the boot sale Turns out I got a three hundred pound record from his store, like an African one, which you had to maybe dig a bit deeper to find out about. But yeah, so that that gives me hope basically, even if it's a, a dealer that's got stuff, you know. And this is a we machine. All, we all need hope. We all need hope in this world. But yeah, 
I guess you you know basically if in a minute or so if someone just really doesn't care and has a clue, he's like, yeah, everything's a pound. I just want to get rid of them. Or uh, if he starts saying things like, well, everything's a bit different. Depends what you like. Right. If you <laughs> like it, no... then it's more. <laughs> if you don't so, like it, then it's less. <laughs> I, I pick up these records I don't like. <laughs> How much of them, please? <laughs> so, uh, but most of the time, uh, UK boot sales the people just want to get rid of them and they've they've not they're not always generally theirs they've come into them through whatever means don't always ask but yeah you know it's it's generally quite a pleasant uh yeah quite a pleasant affair so, so did you score any anyone says so this latest boot sale what were some of the better scores at some point at, well at one point during this summer i was probably bringing back on average between two and three hundred a week whether it be uh, albums or you know 45 seven inches on average a week every week i was there was this one man from bulgaria that would i could he looks like he would drive from bulgaria at the start of summer just with loads of stuff in his van that is accumulated and then he would go around selling it at car boot sales and one of these things he accumulates turns out to be records. So every week, he was just bringing loads of records. He, <laughs> it was funny, he thought he had some knowledge of things, but he really didn't. Uh, but he can't say that. And he would, you know, show me the worst record and say, yes, this is first pressing, but this, you know, I want more than one pound for this. And it was like, I don't know, some horrible synth pop that, you know, you can't literally sell for a penny. But um, overall, he probably made lots of money still. But um, yeah, I mean, I was doing really well, you know, just getting things like specials albums. Didn't always have the cover, but, you know, it was like, wow. And that was a regular thing for weeks. So it's not always that good. But um, yeah, on average, maybe I'd say about 50, 50 new items a boot sale. Sometimes I have a bit of a scattergun approach. If they're like three or four for a dollar, you even get that sometimes. And it's almost, you know, it's hard not to, even if for the inner sleeves things. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, you know, recycling when it's that cheap, you know, it's probably going to go into landfill. So I'm going to give it one more last shot of life. How <laughs> terrible you know, of sometimes you ones you know and they happen to be four for a pound but sometimes it's more of a you know it look, they look all right i can't say for sure could be horrible they might not be but four for a pound you know ten ten pound isn't gonna bankrupt me and more often than not it's been you know worthwhile uh and you get to learn more that way isn't it you, you look things up that you might not have looked up and you you just know certain genres are just you know, it's not happening anymore in the world of trying to sell them. So, yeah. So, it's, what it's what what to... what is out in the world of uh, selling records? Like, what it what is uh, when you're saying what what when you're saying that certain things aren't selling anymore? What would you what would you count as that? I know there was like some article a few well, years big... back about how like there's all these Elvis records that I guess used to be money in the '80s and '90s oh, that okay. then the people are literally dying out and then the people you know, care yeah, less about it. So therefore it's, it becomes, 
you know, it's kind of funny talking about records like the stock market, but you know, these things do wax and wane in terms of prop popularity. The shellac, so I might only sell five a year. It's virtually not even worth me having them for like the hassle of not trying to smash them. Oh, you're talking about like seventy eights. Yeah, sorry. The so I mean, you know, there's still people out there, but it's like, how long will they last, and how many are coming through? So uh, yeah, very rarely do I look at the seventy eights, but uh, I know the original Beatles all come out on them. You know, you find them. This oh, like, really? There's Beatles seventy eights. Like, I had no idea. Yeah, like yeah, the LP albums. About the first one or two come out on the Shellac seventy eight. Uh, so. You know, they're like many thousands of dollars, so I should at least cast an eye over them. They're, they're always so horrible, like the worst sort of 1920s or 30s white waltz music is almost all of them that we see in this country. Right. I know that you can see more, maybe some blues now and again in America at least to give you some hope. But yeah, yeah, I know a few people I that think, collect like rhythm and blues seventy eights and and random things like that. Yeah, I mean, in America they give you some hope looking for that, but in England it's really you have to love that to really dedicate sifting through that. Yeah, I guess with the distribution at that time period, they probably weren't importing a lot of sort of uh, black or roots American music. The yeah. over maybe on on the boat, literally. And even then, <laughs> survive that journey. I don't yeah, know. No, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, usually most of the time these days, I'm getting more into the 45s, the 7 inches, just for ease, ease of use. And, like, you know, they're just worth as much as the other records, really. And, yeah, I don't know. You do get a little bit more addicted to them. I can see how it can happen rather than like LPs and that. Well, it's easier to, to walk around, but I know, I remember talking to some disco people the other day that were almost like echoing the original arguments for 12 inches, which is like, you know, the whole seven inch craze. It's like, you know, you have people collecting stuff that, you know, when you hear some of that stuff on 12s, they actually sound better or there's an extended mix. So oh, they're oh, all, you know, I've talked, to, I've talked to a few people that kind of buck against that whole seven inch trend because they're just like, this is why some of this stuff was pressed on 12-inch in the first place, you know. Oh, yeah, I totally get that. It's just, uh, yeah, I guess carry them back and carry them to America. It's, uh, yeah, and um, also you can you only have to really rub your thumb around there once and you get an idea of the quality where you've got to do two sides of an album. Like, you know, you don't have long really to check things at Boot Sales because... It's not just me looking for records. It's well, yeah, like of course, doggy. of course. Uh, well, yeah. So, um, yeah, quick little thumb round on a seven inch. Uh, that sounds a bit wrong, but yeah, you get an idea. <laughs> oh my god! You have, have to put your whole uh, palm on an LP, wouldn't you, to like get a feel both sides? So, uh, very interesting little... conversation going on here. Yeah, more things to go. <laughs> on a 12 inch and a 7 inch so yeah you know uh but yes so i've basically selected five semi random well at least not horrible ones uh just to don't know quickly 
talk about, I guess. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, talk about some recent scores here. Uh, then say your opinion of that particular item from a, an American's point of well, view. Well, I mean, you know, I can't I, represent anybody, everybody here, but sure. But, um, you're going to have to try. No pressure. <laughs> All right, so uh, the first one is uh, the Kinks. It's a Sunday afternoon LP on a UK press in 1967. That seems uh, like mono. a good score. Yeah, all the like great ones on it. Sunday afternoon, uh, Louis Louis, or however you pronounce it, dedicated follower of fashion, uh, Dead End Street. So, yeah, and uh, the sleeve's really nice condition. Usually they're in all sorts of problems, or people can't help themselves drawing on them. They are very drawable. So, uh, yeah, to see it like looking really nice, that's, uh, yeah. That, that seems cool. like an excellent flea market score. And from an American perspective, I mean, what's kind of interesting, and maybe this works in reverse too, but, you know, many times, especially for UK bands, then we want the UK pressings, which are obviously a little bit harder to find in America. So... Well, I mean, uh, I guess generally... From what I remember, you did get some of the the kinks uh, pressed out there, the seven inches. But there's certain ones that you didn't, because. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess overall that that would be quite popular. This album, then. Yeah, that's a winner, man. Nice one. What else did oh, you get? And then, uh, so there's a Run DMC seven inch uh, forty five. That has Walk This Way and uh, Walk This Way Instrumental on it. Um, I'm thinking you probably must have got that on a 45 in America, but you don't always get the nicer picture sleeves that go with the um, that. Don't yeah, know, that's I, I, another kind of like, especially Europe and UK, and sometimes people collect just even random different Rolling Stones or whatever band just because. Yeah. There may there may not have been a picture sleeve here, but for some reason in Europe especially, they love picture sleeves, or Japan. I see that it come out on Profile Records in America. Was that their general label? Yeah, yeah. Most of their stuff came out on Profile. They're, uh, the equivalent of Profile is London Records, in uh, or London FFRRR. Right, right, because they were probably distributing it. Though I don't think, you know, that's kind of like one of their massive hits. I wouldn't say that's like the Run DMC record I would I would run to play immediately. But uh, sure, you know. I don't completely shock an American that I've got a Run DMC record. But um, So the next one, though, is uh, the Runettes, Be My Baby, London 1963 pressing. And, uh, yeah, still really popular uh, in this country, like maybe... VG condition can still get you five to ten dollars. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I do see. Uh, I have seen that one. I guess in America. I mean, yeah, I do I mean, remember. It's another huge track. I'm, I mean, I would imagine that that would be a pretty common track. But again, sometimes I'm in this yeah. kind of like '80s, '90s, zeros digger mentality. So I'm sometimes like, "Wow, that goes for that now." <laughs> that happens quite yeah, frequently with me. That come out on in America? Oh, then? definitely, definitely. Yeah, because that's right. like Phil Spector, I think. Right. Yes, yes. Because there's uh, also that song where 
on some versions it says you kiss me and then on the uk one sometimes it says in brackets and then he hit me and i think that what? one is more <laughs> wait wait what yes wow that's scandalous really <laughs> at the end and he hit me that's crazy um, so would that be popular in America if I if I stumbled onto something? Maybe I should look into that. Maybe that wasn't added on to the uh, the 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 actual label of the American ones. Wacky. But, uh, well, I, we won't talk about him anymore. He's uh, he's had enough uh, time. Uh, so the next one is a uh, uh, English Motown label. I guess it looks slightly different to. Uh, American, well, it's black, our English version of Tim right, right. I know, the, I know the one you're talking about exactly. Oh, and uh, yeah, this one's, I mean, for my the way I look at it is if I don't recognize the people on the black UK Motown, it's probably amazing. That seems to be the case. If I ever pick up one and it's not anyone I've heard of before, it's usually worth hundreds of dollars. Uh, nearly all the time I will know, you know, it's Diana Ross or Commodores or whatever. But yeah, so this one, as it was someone that didn't automatically jump out at me, it still turned out to be all like five to ten dollar one, but it's uh, Dean Taylor. There's a ghost in my house. Would that No, nah, yeah, I don't know that one. I mean, Motown obviously is a massive catalogue. The UK ones didn't actually get released in america I, I didn't know that was the case but i was uh all right so according to the the d website other databases are available uh it wasn't released in uh america oh that's wild see i didn't even know that that there was uk only really well i know that they have like uh like stevie wonder and marvin gay they have those like Italian releases where they're singing in Italian that were only released in Italy. So there's those Motown records out there, like random ones. And they're kind of all around like the late 60s, early 70s. So there's like some pretty decent tracks, actually. So this is basically, uh, the jobs are good and with this one. So I just looked on the, the website and it turns out on that particular website that there's none sale at all in america of uh this motown one so yeah i mean that's something that we were talking about before is just you know finding things Mm. that you can find in your country you know like in new york you can still kind of find salsa and boogaloo records occasionally if you're digging that didn't necessarily get the distribution in other countries so yeah that's interesting i didn't know that motown did that no because i will yeah, probably see one or two a week of these. Um, so that's good to know. And then, yeah, the last one is just a random Shaka Khan double pack uh, remixes, basically. So like a David Morales remix of Life is a Dance and a Tony Humphreys remix, uh, Marley Mole. Uh, oh wow, there's a Marley Marr mix. That's wild. So that must be from what early '90s, or when is that from? Frankie, Frankie Knuckles remix of Ain't Nobody as well. So oh, wow, yeah, nice. 1989 UK and Europe release. So yeah, I mean, I think it does uh, come out in America. 
maybe on a CD. But yeah, something like that. I would definitely, you never know, I might end up keeping that for myself. Uh, so yeah, overall, uh, that's not a bad little selection of yeah, what happened. Yeah, nice one. Well, uh, at um, some point, uh, let's get a mix from you for sure, man. Yes, yeah, so everything's pretty much all go now in terms of that in my in my abode. Um, so, yeah, that would be perfect. All right. Or I'll do uh, uh, a recent thing uh, for sure. Word, man. Well, thanks so much for uh, talking and, and all that stuff, and best of luck with the digging until until we oh. see you in Detroit, I suppose. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, every day I have a quick look to see if uh, things have changed. But every day is a day closer, I like to think. So you'll be the first to know um, when I'm knocking at your door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, and, and also if there's any enticement, there's uh, a little public park with some public tennis courts across the street from my house now. Well, I haven't played in ages. I've been watching uh, Wimbledon at the moment uh, a few hours a day. It's got me semi keen to uh, get a couple of backhands. But yeah, I love uh, playing with people of all abilities, so I'd love to have a little uh, knock-up with whoever on the court, for sure. You've been listening to Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.